Alright, we're ready. So either camera, right? Back and forth? Okay. Okay. Get my seat set up. Yeah. All right. So we're ready to go. Gosh. All right. Well, New Life, I come to you this morning, and I am uh, excited uh, to be able to, to gather this way. Uh, I know when uh, most churches right now are uh, grounded or unable to get together, um, and I just I thank God that we have this capability, uh, known as Facebook Live, on our social uh, media platform, uh, to be able to gather together. And so I just want to encourage you throughout this sermon uh, this morning as we just look at God's Word, um, to, to interact with one another. Feel free, just in the comment space uh, here on this platform, to, to interact, check in, let people know you're here, um, welcome one another, um, different things like that. Um, so feel free to please, by all means, uh, participate, uh, as, as that's what we're called to do in worship. And so uh, I'm actually going to start a new series. It's going to kind of just be a two-week series that will lead us up to Easter. Man, our hope, we're praying like crazy that uh, we get to get together uh, corporately again uh, by Easter. And so um, that's our hope. That's our prayer. And so I've just wanted to push pause on the series that we were in and just kind of discontinue that. Uh, and then we'll we'll continue to, to gather and, and talk about this over the next two weeks and then get ready for Palm Sunday. Uh, and then, man, hopefully we'll be back together on campus uh, for Easter. And so uh, the, the new series that we're going to look at for the next two weeks is entitled this, When God Doesn't Make Sense. That's what we're going to look at, when God doesn't make sense. And so we're going to look at some people in the scriptures that have things happen to them uh, that really just kind of doesn't make sense in that time. Like, like what's going on, what's happening, what's taking place? Um, so we'll spend the next few weeks uh, looking at that. And I just, I just really feel like after much prayer, uh, much seeking God, especially in uh, today in our world uh, with this coronavirus, with all the unrest, I just feel like it would be a, a good thing for us to just press in and to look at some of these things uh, that we see in Scripture uh, that maybe just doesn't make sense. And so, um, so that's what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. And so we say things around here quite often like God is sovereign. Uh, and what that simply means is that God's in control, uh, that God isn't surprised, God isn't shocked, uh, God um, uh, isn't caught off guard with everything that's going on in our world today, but that he is still on the throne, he's still in control, uh, and he is still capable and able to do uh, a mighty, a th many of things. And so, um, so we believe that God is, is in control and that he's uh, sovereign and that he's aware. Um, and so the question is, why would he allow things like this to happen? Why would he allow his church to have to uh, not be able to come together? And so I just feel like over the next two weeks, it'll be good to kind of tackle some of those questions, kind of look at some of those thoughts, look at maybe some uh, mighty people in the scripture that went through some of these difficulties uh, and, and see how they respond, see what God does uh, in those moments. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, for just a moment, if you'd join me as we pray. Uh, and then after we pray, we'll, we'll jump into God's word um, here in just a few minutes. So uh, join me as we pray. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this day, God, for this opportunity to gather as your people, God, online. Um, and so, Father, we, we miss our, our members. We miss those that would visit with us uh, week in and week out. And so, God, we just pray uh, that you move and speak in their lives. God, I think of those that are sick, uh, that's a part of our fold. God, I pray that you just keep them healthy, help them recover. I know we've had surgeries. I know we've had sickness and a number of things. And so, God, I just pray 
God, that you just uh, move and heal. Uh, and Father God, as we gather like this for however long you see fit, God, may we grow, may we learn, may we come to know you in a deeper way. Um, so God, I just thank you for technology. I thank you for this opportunity and for the leadership of this church that allows us to be able to have this uh, ability. And so God, I pray you just bless this time. God, I pray that this is encouraging. God, I pray that this is convicting. God, I pray that this challenges. God, I even pray that through this somehow, some way, somebody comes to know you as Lord and Savior. So Father, I pray you save the lost. God, use this to grow us and mature us. Father, we need you more than ever. And Father, I just wanna say thank you for that reminder over these last couple weeks of how greatly we truly need you. So God, be glorified and be blessed. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So uh, as I was reading and as I was studying, I came across a, a quote from Martin Luther. Uh, and this quote is actually whenever he's dealing with the Black Plague. And so he writes these wise words that can, I think, really help inform us, shape us, and kind of help us really see what's happening in our world right now. And so this is what Martin Luther says. This great theologian says this. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and even take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus uh, perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God shall wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. And I just believe that those are such wise words, especially uh, in a time like this. I mean, who would have thought, who would have thought that in 2020, three months into this new year, that something like this would cause such a standstill in our world. I mean, we're educated. We're strong. We're above stuff like this. Man, but over the last few weeks, last few months, we have been reminded that maybe we're really not as educated, strong, or ready for certain things in life. And so life doesn't always go the way that we expect. And we pray in moments like this for guidance, and we press in to the one who is in control, to the one who can do something. But sometimes from our perspective, it would seem like uh, God is doing what he's doing in those moments or in those difficult times. It would seem very much like maybe it doesn't make sense. And so this morning, I want us to press in and I want to see if that is the case. Like I'm reminded of scriptures like this. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. It says, he, God, has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, what Ecclesiastes tells us here is that we're limited, that we're finite, that we are bound. Ecclesiastes, what it's doing is giving us some great insight on understanding the matters of God from an eternal perspective. It just shows us how small and minute we are, how fragile we truly are. And so I believe that we're constantly needing to be reminded that God is, is so much greater, so much bigger that God truly is concerned with our joy more than our happiness. And so the question that always comes up, but doesn't God want me to be happy? I mean, we're not happy in moments like this, are we? 
And this doesn't make us happy. We are not excited to be quarantined or to have to be uh, putting things on pause or not being able to go watch our kids play ball or, or being able to, to go to work or to be able to, to socialize and do a, a number of things with people that we're close to and that we love. We, we don't like this. We don't enjoy this. We're not happy. So that question always comes up. Doesn't God want me happy? My answer is always a resounding no. God doesn't want us happy. He is much more concerned with our joy than our happiness. That's what he wants because happiness is shallow. Happiness at best is just an emotional thing that happens. But joy, church, joy, that's not the case. Joy is, God is interested in our joy because when we're rooted in him, we're most satisfied in him. And he wants us to be satisfied in who he is and what he has done for us. And so we get him. That's what joy is. It's Jesus. We get the physical person of Jesus living in us, taking up residence in us by way of the Holy Spirit. That's what we get. And he is enough. And there's nothing that can take away that reality or that joy from us. God's always, church, God is always working. God is always moving behind the scenes in every circumstance, in every situation for his glory and for our good. So even in this moment of unrest, even in this moment of craziness, even in this moment of uncertainty, God is still behind the scenes moving and working for his glory and for our good. And if nothing else, it has made us very much aware, very much aware of our great need for him. So when things seem to not make very much sense, when things seem to be crazy, they make perfect sense to God because he has all authority and he is in absolute and complete control. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at, look at a man in the New Testament that probably thought this at one point in his life. Man, God, this just isn't making sense. And you kind of see him even ask that question to Jesus. You see him kind of have some of his disciples go to Jesus and, and have this conversation for him as things are just aren't lining up and things just aren't making sense for him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one. We'll start in verse six. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit about this man because this man is given a very divine name. It was John, which we find in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, to mean Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. That's the meaning of this man's name. And he was known as the Baptist, but it's no, no relation to the modern denomination. That's not what this is. No, it simply means an immerser. One who administers the rite of immersion is what Matthew 3, 1 teaches and so the importance of John is the divine scheme of, of things, and it's summed up best in the testimony of Jesus himself. As Jesus comments about this man in Matthew eleven eleven, he says this, he says, among them, among everybody, among the people here, among people born, past, present, and even those in the future, among them, there are born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Wow. If you have Jesus as one of your references, and he says that there's no one that's ever been born of woman any greater than this guy, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's better than any of us watching online. I mean, that's better than any of us here today, right? Or ever has been, no matter how great they've been. And so, I mean, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty weighty, the fact that, that Jesus Christ makes that comment about you. And so John is born of, an aged, of some aged Jewish parents, You've got Zacharias, you've got Elizabeth, who were of a very priestly family is what it teaches in Luke 1. I mean, so Elizabeth is related to Mary and Mary's the mother of Jesus. 
And so this devout couple, they, they lived in the hill country of Judea, is what Luke 1 would teach. And I love what Luke has to say about their character. Listen to how the scriptures even describe John the Baptist's parents. Luke 1, 6 says this, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wow. I mean, is that not crazy? Uh, what, what a character reference that is. That when the word of God describes you like this, when the word of God says this is how you are, I mean, what a description of their character. I mean, do you walk in and obey the things of God, the things that he tells you? I mean, how would your coworker answer that question? How would your friends, and let me press you like this, and how, how would your kids answer that question as parents? Would they say, man, my mom, my dad, they walk in the ordinances. They walk in the things of God. And they walk blameless before the Lord. Man, they have a desire and a longing. Man, my hope for us as a church, my hope for us as a people, is that's how it would be for us. That, that we would be described like this. Man, I know for me, I, I want that to be my character. I want that to be my nature. I want that to be how people describe me. I want to be like that. I, I do my best to be righteous before God, knowing that righteousness comes out of my own, but in the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. But I still have things that he commands me to do and he asks me to do, to be holy, to be obedient. I mean, I want to be described like this, walking in his word, just a hunger and a desire for his word. I mean, does that characterize you? I mean, I, mean, I want that. I want to be blameless. And again, I know that I am before Christ, but as the world looks at me, as they see me, do they see Jesus? Do they see the holiness of, of our Lord and Savior? And I know I'm going to mess up. And when I do, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It just simply means that whenever I do mess up, when I do have struggles, I own it. I mean, I repent, I allow the Holy Spirit to convict me and draw me. But is that how people would describe you? Is that what people would say of you? And this is John the Baptist's parents. And so what we have is Zacharias. And in this story um, leading up to John's life, Zacharias is chosen to burn incense at the temple at Jerusalem. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a priest. And so you have the angel Gabriel, what does he do? He appears to this elderly gentleman, Zacharias, and he informs him that his prayers had been heard and that his wife would bear a son. And so Zacharias, I mean, he's probably prayed for this earlier. He's probably seek God in this earlier, in some earlier times. But Elizabeth, what we know about the story is that she's barren. And both of them are now advanced in age. They're, they're, they're older and they're advanced. And so this is the first time in this story where God does something that doesn't make sense. I mean, think about that for a moment. And they've been praying and praying and praying for a kid and nothing. But what do they do? They continue to be faithful. They continue to seek God. And what happened? God hears their cries and God moves on their behalf. And so John's conception was miraculous. I mean, this is huge. And so he was about six months older than Jesus is what the scriptures teach. And it was foretold that this child would be filled with the spirit of God, even from his mother's womb. And so I just believe this just really just sheds some light uh, on his role in preparing the way for the world's redeemer, for the world's Messiah, for Jesus. And so let's, let's look at Mark real fast. Mark chapter one, verse one. Let's read down through verse eight. And this is what God's word says. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Verse three, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea, all, all of Jerusalem 
were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The very strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here in this scripture is that John's going at it. I mean, he's a rugged man. He's a man's man. And he's your outdoor, go get him, out there preaching, fiery preaching, telling people their great need of Jesus, calling him out, proclaiming how much they need to be right with God. And this is the way that you do it. And as they come to faith and they believe in God, he baptizes them. And so this is what John's doing. This is what he does. He's just out there and he's proclaiming Jesus, telling them of the one coming, of the forecoming Messiah, the Savior. And so he's outspoken. He's very pointed in what people need to do to be right with God. And so as the story goes, we see John baptized, eventually get to baptize Jesus. And he proclaims to everyone, this is the one I was telling you about. This is the man that I was telling you about, the one that has come to take away our sin, the one that has come to make us right with God. So then after that, after John does that, there's really not a whole lot that's said about him until about chapter six of Mark. And so here's the context of what's, what's happening with John. So we see that with John, and then there's this big pause, and you see the life of Jesus, and then it finally kind of gets back to John, and this sets up what's happening. And you have Herod, who's ruling at the time, and he ends up falling in love with his brother's wife. Never a good thing. And so her name was Herodas. And so what does she do? She divorces her husband, and then she marries Herod. And you know John, right? John doesn't put up with sin. John doesn't, doesn't take that lightly. And what does he do? He calls him out. John the Baptist calls him out for this sinful act. And so what, what do we know about being called out w- with our sin? Not many people like it. Not many people enjoy it. And so the same thing here. The same thing happens here, especially if you're not a believer. You don't like to be told that you're wrong or that you're sinful or that you're wicked or that you need help. A lot of believers don't even like that. Though we need it, we don't like it. And so what we see in the story is that happens. And so we know Herodotus here, she, she, um, his wife, um, Herod's wife ends up, she hates John the Baptist. And so what happens? Herod has John the Baptist arrested. And the story picks up in Mark chapter 6, verse 17. It says this. It says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodotus, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Verse 19, and Herodotus had a grudge against him. She wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And so he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It blows my mind. He hears him, a little perplexed, perplexed by it, but he continues to listen to him and he hears him gladly. It was almost like his God's trying to work on him, trying to get him. And so we have John faithfully serving God, announcing the arrival of Jesus, ends up baptizing Jesus. You see him making comments like, don't, don't follow me, follow Jesus. He's like, I'm unworthy to even, uh, to loose the sandal, his straps on his sandals. And so he eventually baptizes Jesus. But what we see in the story here is that he gets arrested. He's put in prison for doing what's right. For, for living rightly, calling sin what it is. And so surely, in a moment like this, I mean, surely God's going to do something, right? There's no way God would leave him, leave him be, hang him out to dry, not step in in a mighty way, right? There's just no way that God wouldn't do something. Well, well let's, let's see what happens. Let's pick up in Matthew 11, verse 2. Matthew 11, verse 2. 
Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word about one of his disciples. And he said to him, him being Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And so what we see in the story is that in this moment, Jesus is aware and Jesus is continuing to do his, his ministry and continuing to live his life and continuing to do what God has set him out to do. And so as I think about this, man, what, what would you have done? Maybe you've been in a situation like that where you're living for God, you're doing the right things and things start to fall apart or you get accused falsely or you lose your job because of or difficulty and struggle comes upon you. So you have John here in prison wondering if maybe he misunderstood Jesus's agenda. And so how, how should we do? What should we do? How should we act and react whenever God does something that doesn't make sense? Like maybe even right now. It's 2020, right? Coronavirus? We're having to be quarantined. We're having to stay away. We can't gather as the body. Can't go to work. What are we going to do with our finance? All of this stuff, and it's not making sense. And it's like, God, I've been living for you. Or God, I've been doing what you've asked me to do. Or God, I'm, I'm trying. And maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you feel sick. Maybe you don't. I'm, whatever the case is. What do you do in a moment like this? Whenever God doesn't make sense. And hear me, I believe that's okay to be in that place. I believe that's, that's a right and actual a place that, that we all go to sometimes. And I think it's okay to ask God questions. I think it's okay to press into him, to seek him in these moments. And so I don't believe that this is John's faith wavering. I don't believe that's what's happening here. I believe that John may be a little confused and trying to figure some things out. So I believe that this is a good place. It's a good place to pray. It's a good place to seek. It's a good place to go to God's word, to be reminded of his faithfulness. When it appears that things aren't making sense from our limited perspective, to try to press in and to try to figure out, maybe send some people to ask, to ask somebody, man, what's really going on? Or if you've got a doctor friend, ask, man, tell me a little bit more about this. I don't understand it. There, there's so much conflicting stuff. I mean, whatever the case may be. And so look at Jesus' response in verse four. And Jesus answered him and says this, go and tell John what you hear and see. So, so go back and tell John the things that you're hearing and the things that you're about to see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does Jesus do? He continues to live his life and to take forth the message of the gospel of hope. Jesus continues to be Jesus and do what God had called him to do and to be about what God had called him to be about. And so he does this so they can go back and they can report to John all that they had personally seen in the realm of proof of Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being who he said he was. And then Jesus says a few things about God, about John. Jesus gives a few insights and says a few things about John. But Jesus never goes to John's rescue. Jesus never goes to John's rescue. I mean, think about that for a moment. The very testimony of Jesus was there's never been a greater one born. Never. Born of woman, none. None greater than John. And he leaves John in prison. Doesn't go to his rescue. And so let's look back at John for a moment in prison here. And so what we know historically is that Herod throws a party on his birthday. 
And Herodias' daughter comes in and she begins to dance. I mean, how, how sick is that? And so Herod is pleased by her. And, and he told her that, man, you can ask for anything, in the, anything that you want up to half of the kingdom. And it's yours. So what does she do? She goes out and she has this conversation with her mom. Anything in the kingdom up to half of it. And this is what she says she wants. John the Baptist's head. She wants John dead. Mark 6, 26 says this, and the king was exceedingly sorrowful. But because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Verse 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner with others to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Jesus says there's none greater born of woman than you. You're in prison. You're kind of struggling a little bit. And as you're struggling and trying to press in, trying to figure out, he didn't even come through for you. I mean, he didn't even come through for John. Where's God in all of this? I mean, this definitely doesn't make sense, right? This can't be it for John, is it? But it is. I mean, this corrupt, wicked, fallen people get mad at John because John tells them the truth about themselves. John follows God. And in following God, it leads him to his death. So what this shows us is that John's calling was fulfilled. That God had a purpose and a plan for John and he took him up to that point and allowed him to do what God had for him. Because we know John's calling was to do what? Prepare the way for Jesus. To be the front runner, the forerunner for Christ. To go and tell this world of the one coming. So God's purpose was fulfilled and just maybe not the way that John thought it would be. Maybe John was expecting something different. Maybe John was hoping for something a little different. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go that way. Would you want to go that way? We don't want to go that way. We want to go out in a blaze of glory. We want to go out on like, like a good way. But that's not what happened to John. That wasn't the plan that God had. And so maybe for you, that's how the story's unfolding now. Maybe for you, that's what's going on. Maybe you're worried. Maybe there's a struggle I mean, I know there's uncertainty, and I just want you to press in, man, to God. God has got this, and I know that's what we say. Oh, man, but if you would look through the history of time in the Scriptures, you see that over and over and over. Man, God got, God's got it. God's in control. He's sovereign. Man, you can see it from the very beginning to even to today. In this crazy world, everything that's going on, everything that's happening, man, God's still orchestrating and working. So maybe you're going through something now and you've been praying and praying and praying, but it would appear from your view that God isn't moving or God isn't making sense. So what do we do? What do we do in times like this when it doesn't seem like God's making sense? When you have that moment of sitting in prison thinking, what in the world's happening? And so to close, what I want to do is I want to look at a proverb as I believe it just gives us some really good hope to cling to. And this is what Proverbs 19.21 says as I, as I wind down. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many of the plans in the mind of a man, so we have a lot of plans, a lot of things that we think about, a lot of things that we want to happen, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So it's God's purposes that are gonna come through. It's God's will that will happen. And so hear me this morning, church. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to still be able to trust that God's got a purpose. I mean, have you ever prayed for someone and they still ended up maybe not making it? 
Have you ever worked very, very hard, put a lot of energy and effort and time into your job, but maybe even lost it? Did you do the right thing, but get reprimanded? Or were you just going about your life trying to live for the glory and honor of Christ, getting serious about your walk, and now you're in this situation where you can't even really come out in public a whole lot? You gotta be very, very careful. You gotta be very cautious. So maybe you're sitting there at home wondering what in the world's happened with this virus or flu season or sickness or uncertainty or finances. And so what I try to do often is been pressing because I know the tendency in my heart is to worry. The tendency of my heart is to be fearful. The tendency in the flesh is to do contrary to the spirit. That's what the word of God teaches. And so I know in moments like this, what I do is I try to condition myself to God's word. And I just love what the, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse eight. He says, he says this, describing God, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God says, the way that I think is not the way that you think. And the way that I do things, my plans, my purposes are not yours. They're so much greater and bigger. So my hope is perspective in this this morning. I mean, we get to look at the story of John and we get to see all the good that come from that. And you know what? My hope and prayer is that one day we'll get to look back as a church and as a body and as a people and as the following of God. And we'll get to look back and we'll get to, to see years ahead being there really what God was doing. I mean, can you think for a moment and imagine? I mean, how many people have come to hear Jesus proclaimed now as a result of this? I mean, as I talk to my wife and she's in the medical field and she tells me about the worry and the concern that's there. I mean, the people that she gets to talk to and encourage them with hope. Hope, hope in what? In Jesus. Well, Christ has got this. God's got this. I mean, can you imagine, man, the conversations you can have with your neighbor? I mean, the conversations you can have with that person that maybe if you still have to go to work, you get to talk to, you get to share with, that person that maybe you can interact with on social media, that you can shoot a text to. And church, we have got in us the hope. We have got in us the answer, and it's Christ. And can you imagine and how God could use this to bring lost man to him in this time of uncertainty? Well, because his thoughts aren't ours, his ways aren't our ways. So what's the plan? What's the plan? Maybe we don't know what the plan is, but we can trust that God has a purpose. We may not know the plan, but what you can know is that God's not just flippantly doing something. He's not just trying to aggravate the flow of life. He's not just trying to, man, what can I do just to, to kind of maybe shake him up a little bit? That's not God's heart. That's not God's nature. No, he's got a plan and he's got a purpose and he's gonna work that plan. And he's gonna work that purpose. And so what we have to do is we have to work to get to the place where we understand that God's plans and our plans may not be the same. And that's okay, because what we have is story after story after story of how we can trust God. We want to know how things are going to pan out. That's just us. We're control freaks. We, we like to be in control. We like to know what's going to happen next, how things are going to shake down, how things are going to pan out. But what God says is, I want you to step in. I want you to trust me, because what I'm doing here is far greater than you could ever imagine. And the way that I'm going to bring about and accomplish my purpose is in a way that you'd never be able to do it on your own. If you just trust me, if you just step in and follow me. See, God's purposes and ways are always better, always better, and it'll always accomplish more than ours. So, so God is growing us in faith. He's using all of this to show this world that he has all we need. 
that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful, that he is in control, and that even in the midst of this craziness and chaos, that he is worthy of honor and glory. And so there's going to be times in our life and in our walk where it appears that God doesn't make sense, but our faith has to be in his purpose and his plan, that he is working something out far greater than we could ever imagine. As I said earlier, remember, God's not erratic. He's not whimsical. He's always thought out with great intentionality and purpose. And that's a truth that we can rest in, especially when it may appear that God's not making sense. He has a purpose for our day, church. He has a purpose for us personally. He has a purpose for us corporately. And he has a purpose in this world and a plan for this world. And his desire is to draw a lost man to him. And just maybe, just maybe by the way that we act, we react, the way that we live, the way that we do, just maybe God will use that to draw a lost man to him and to point people to his goodness and his faithfulness and use us. Man, church, I'm praying this year, man, that we see over 20 people come to know Christ as a result of us sharing the gospel actively in our community. And maybe this will be one of those times that God uses us, God uses you, man, to have gospel conversation. Yeah, man, it seems crazy, but let me tell you what God's up to. Man, God's got a plan. God's not left us, hung us out to dry. God is aware. God is so aware, and he cares so much about, about you and then you have opportunity to have gospel conversation over the next few weeks with your neighbor, with a family member. So, man, don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste. Man, if you doubt and you struggle, that's fine. Man, press into God. See how he's reacted over and over and over throughout history. So my prayer, my hope for you is this. As we look this week at John the Baptist, and the next week we'll continue this thought throughout the scripture of when God doesn't make sense, my hope is that God encourages you, that God strengthens you, that God matures you and grows you and draws you to himself, man, and brings comfort and peace because our God is a God of comfort and peace. Not craziness, not uncertainties, but that our God is working and doing, even in the midst of what seems to be a nightmare. Our God is there working with a plan and a purpose. And so may you trust, may you step in, may you believe. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know what God's spoken to your heart this morning or what he said to you, I mean, if you have questions, please do not hesitate to, to either comment below or send us an email. Uh, my email is scottmiller at nlbfonline.org. That'll be on the screen. You can shoot me an email. We'd love to have more gospel conversation. Try to answer as many questions as we can that maybe God stirred in your heart. If you don't know him as Savior, we would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with him. But I mean, I pray that you don't waste this time of God working and doing his purpose and his plan in the world, even in uncertainty. And please know we're here. If we can pray for you at all, you can, you can email, our, uh, email us. You can go through our app. There's a number of things that you can do where we can uh, I mean, just try to encourage you. We can pray for you. If we can serve you in any way, we're trying to get some ministry started up where if you're uh, um, uh, locked in or you, you've, you're, you're quarantined or you don't feel um, safe going out and buying groceries or necessities, man, please let us know. We would count it an honor to be able to serve you in that facet and go and get for you. So whatever God's laid on your heart, whatever God's doing, man, I pray that you press in. And don't let this be a time where you miss God, even in what appears to be craziness. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he wants to shape you and mold you, draw you to himself, rescue you, save you, and do a mighty, mighty work. Give you that joy that I talked about earlier. That's only found in him. So again, thank you for watching. 
Thank you for being here this morning. Church, try to encourage. Church, try to love one another. We can do that through texting. We can do that through social media a number of ways. But know that we're praying. Know that we cannot wait till the day that we get together again. Because hear me, when we get together again, we are going to celebrate like crazy who our Savior is, who our God is. So may you be blessed this week. We'll see you next week. I'm going to pray for us to close. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. God, thank you for your promise, your purpose, your plans. God, help us have a, a good perspective of who you are. God, let us search out in the scriptures. God, we know that you've got this and that you're going to work something out far greater than we could ever imagine. In your name we pray. Amen. You have a great week.